Welcome back to Jabber's Delight, everybody. I hope you're having a wonderful day, and if you're not, well... Oh, well. Nothing I can do about it. Anyways, I'm sitting here at work waiting for the timer to run out on the last few tests, and I figured, why not try to put a little something together? Gotta get in the habit of it, right? Start getting stuff out all the time. Maybe somebody will like it and want to listen to it. And if that's the case, then there's gotta be something to listen to. Anyway... Today I saw a wonderful little cartoon about a couple of bears in a restaurant talking about territory encroachment turning around on itself from the non-sequitur calendar or the daily calendar thing. Yeah. And uh, that just made me think about bears. And I love bears. Everybody who knows me in real life, you know, I, I kind of resemble a bear. I like to sleep a lot. I like to eat raw fish. In the form of sushi. Uh, I'm generally okay, but when I'm grumpy, I'm really grumpy. And, yeah, I scratch my back on trees. I don't know what else it takes. I mean, I'm not hairy like Robin Williams or anything, but, yeah, bears. They're awesome. So, um, yeah. Which ties into Chicagoland, right? Bears lost. I could care less. Football's not my thing. I know it seems odd because wrestling is kind of close in the physical sports, but no, can't stand it. I was born way too close to the time of the Super Bowl, so every few years, Super Bowl happens on my birthday. And when you, you don't really know what f football is, then you just end up losing your birthday celebration because now we're going to celebrate it all at the same time. That's that's kind of that's a hard thing to just get through. <laughs> Oh, pardon me. Hard thing to just get through. So, yeah. Don't like football. Anyway, I'm sure a lot of you do. I could care less. Not that you care whether or not I like it either, right? Because we're not going to talk about it. I don't have anything to actually talk about at all. This is a bad idea to actually do a podcast right now. I was just bored. Yeah. Actually, that's the whole reason this whole podcast is even coming together at all. I just boredom. Yeah. I spent a lot of time working alone. I don't have anybody to talk to, so if I can talk to a podcast, then that's something, right? I mean, it's, it's it seems like it's better than nothing. And and I'm a creative person. I should be able to do this, but you have to have something to talk about. You can't just be a creative person. If we just want creativity, then you know, go paint a picture, hang a hang something up <coughs> somewhere. Anyway, yeah, that's all I got. Nothing. That's stupid to even start. But part of me thinks I should just keep rolling on because there's only one way I'm going to get practice in just keeping the conversation going. I mean, it'd be nice to get a guest or something, somebody to bounce something off of, have a topic in my mind. But hell, I don't, I don't watch the news. I know the government's shut down, but the only reason I know the government is shut down is because... One of my roommates is uh, a TSA agent, and he's not getting paid. And uh, he's filing for food stamps, and all those, all those little things that go along with not getting paid. He still has to go to work every day, and he'll get his back pay eventually. But I guess he's not getting his holiday pay, like all those bonuses. They're not counted. 
He's supposed to get a certain amount of paid time off in case he gets sick or something, and he's not supposed to show up when he's sick. But now he's not getting that paid time off, so if he doesn't work because he's sick, when they start paying everything back, he's not going to get that money. And, um, I mean, the household's going to be fine because there's enough extra income that we could all, you know, help him get through it because we all know it's going to it's gonna come back eventually. It's, it's not like he's out of a job. But it's, it's just an annoying little thing, like, all because some guy wants to build a wall that we can't afford to build, and realistically, I'm, I'm against the wall. I mean, I get the idea. You want to stop people from invading our country. And, I mean, it's South America, right? Like, they're not even from Mexico, but yet the wall is going up against Mexico. Like... People from Mexico, sure, they do come over across the, the state line, but it's usually people farther south than them. And, uh, like, the Mexican government doesn't really want it to be happening either because they don't want all the foot traffic going through. And I get that, and, you know. I'm not the sort of person to think that you just take everybody in no matter what because eventually that causes problems. You can't, you can't save everybody. Um... And I don't blame the people who are trying to come across, you know, if you live in a shitty place and you want to try and find a better way to live, you do whatever it takes, you know. Everybody's got to do whatever it takes. So, I guess my number one thing against the wall is that I don't think it's going to actually do any good. I mean, it might slow a few people down eventually, but if there's anything that uh, the world of video games has shown us, it's that if there's an exploit to be found, somebody's going to find it. Someone's going to find it really quickly. And then they're going to let everybody know. And as soon as that exploit gets taken care of, somebody's going to find another one. And there will never be an end to the exploits. People will dig under the wall. People will fling themselves over the wall. You know, it'll be, it'll be oh, there's a nice pool here, so let's bring up this human catapult. Something crazy like that. It's going to happen. Um, and, I mean, anybody who's got a serious determination to get through is going to be able to get through. All you're doing is is making those people who, who don't really think it's there, or they went across and it wasn't there, and now they're going to go across, and they're not going to have a plan to get across after they hit the wall because it's not going to be, you know, like, propagated through right away. And those people are going to be in the middle of the of the... the Mexican-American border somewhere trying to get across the wall and not being able to but not having enough supplies to get back and kind of hoping that they were just going to you know, make it across and then spending a day or two trying to figure it out until they just die of exposure and starvation. So, I mean, I don't think Trump really cares about that aspect of it. And certainly... It's got to interfere with, like, migration patterns of, like, wild creatures and stuff. Irrigation, drainage, all these sorts of things. you got a giant wall, but there's not supposed to be a giant wall. And, uh, you know, that's going to cause all sorts of just, like, little trickle-down effects that won't be obvious right away. But after a while, they're going to be pretty damn obvious. Especially if the wall is going all the way across the Mexican-American border. Because if it's going all the way across the Mexican-American border, then 
then that means there is no migration of land animals unless they're burrowing. Flying creatures can get across. I suppose maybe you can you can go out to the farthest edges and swim across, but it's got to go pretty far out into the ocean, right? I mean, it can't just stop at the ocean because then you just get a rowboat and go around it. Um, and and what happens, you know, when when part of it gets destroyed and part of it's, I mean, things are gonna wear out over time. It's just a stupid idea. Um, but I guess a lot of people think our president's kind of stupid. I don't know if he is or not. I really don't know. I don't pay enough attention to any of it. He seems like he's kind of an idiot. But then, I thought Obama seemed like he was kind of an idiot too. And Bush was an idiot. And, and Clinton was an idiot. And I mean, I think the number one qualification for wanting or for being a good president would be not wanting to be the president so i don't think we've had very many good presidents because it's always something you have to work really hard to do you have to put everything about your life under a microscope your whole family has to be disrupted you know you're not just winning for you you're winning and then everyone in your life is affected yeah even if they're people you don't know very well but there's still people in your life now they have to go through secret service and background checks just to be associated with you. That's crazy. It's really crazy. No sane person would want that job. It's selfish to want that job. Even the most noble people who took that job, you know, if if, if you campaign to get it, then, then you don't deserve it. So, you're never going to find me in favor of anybody who's trying to win it. It's it's one of those things like, you know who's who I'm gonna think is probably a good candidate. We get one of those situations where like half of Congress gets wiped out, and you get that one lone survivor, and he didn't really want to be the president. He was just that last guy on the totem pole who wasn't important enough to go to the meeting. And now he's got to start making executive decisions, and I'm not saying he's gonna do a good job, but at least I'll know his heart's in the right place, probably. Maybe not. Or her heart. I don't care. Which, uh, by the way, if you ever hear me using those those gender non-neutral pronouns, it's just out of habit. I honestly could care less whether or not it's a man or a woman in the office, as long as there's somebody who's actually qualified. Um, I was against Hillary, but not because she's a woman. Um, because she's a Democrat. Yeah. Um, just like I'm against Trump because he's a Republican. If, if you're in one of the party camps and you're shoring up the defenses, then I probably don't like you. I'm not even necessarily a moderate. It's just I have my own views and I refuse to vote for anybody who doesn't match who doesn't match you know a decent amount. I'm not one of these people who vote against somebody because then I'm still voting like I want to vote against both of them. How do I vote against both candidates when there's two candidates to choose from? I don't like either one of them. You're talking like like maybe agree with like 49% of one and 48% of the other. And then all that middle ground in between is that's the stuff that I find really important. And they don't pay attention to anything. So some people think, you know, a little bit of a whack job. Kind of out of the field. You know, I... 
as I said before, I don't think you can save everybody. I think it's irresponsible to try and save everyone. I think if you try to save everyone, you you basically create the situation that we've seen historically with... Um, well, not historically, that's the wrong term. Um, archaeologically, we've seen with the story of Easter Island. Now, Easter Island is an uh, island, obviously, and has nothing to do with Easter as far as I know. It's the island with the big stone heads that faced off towards the ocean. Lots of big stone heads. And there was always a mystery, like, why did they make these giant stone heads? What, what could possibly be the, the purpose? And, and that's not really the curious part about it. I mean, it is curious, but that's not the lesson. That's like, you know, it could be that they were just trying to make it seem like giants lived on the island, the people who were far away, and, you know, so it was like a defensive mechanism. It could be some sort of religious rite. Oh, it could just be they were really bored and they really liked giant stone heads. None of that's too important. I mean, it's, it's curious and it's interesting. I'd love to find an answer. But what caused the people of Easter Island to not be there when everybody else came back? There are some people there, but it's really decimated populations compared to what there used to be. What archaeologists found is that the people of Easter Island weren't wiped out by any major catastrophe. They were wiped out because at a certain point, they just overpopulated. And they kept adapting and adapting and adapting, much like we do. And at a certain point, there was no room left to adapt. They had stretched everything as far as they could possibly stretch with their technology. Now, of course, we can stretch things a lot farther. We have a lot more technology. But at a certain point, there's just no more room. Either you have to find an absolutely new way to do things, or you're just going to hit a point where there's no room. So people started dying off. And you'd think, okay, well, if people start dying off, then the balance should return, right? Well, if the resources have been spread so thin that there's nothing left to support anyone, then there's nothing left to bounce back. And that's my concern for the world. Right? is that we hit a point where we just keep adapting everybody's quality of life just keeps decreasing keeps decreasing and at a certain point we hit that, that absolute point that absolute threshold where things wouldn't go back to normal even if we let everything just, just go the way it was like everything's going to change we've kind of already crossed the, the threshold we've already crossed that threshold with environmental impact on global warming, right? I mean, yeah, we're not feeling the impact yet tremendously, but it's there and it's noticeable. You know, um, they should never have called it global warming, by the way. They should have called it something something less temperature-dependent. Climate change is a good name for it because it is climate change. And yes, it is happening because the globe is warming up. But people think that global warming means that everywhere is just going to be hotter, and that's not how it works. It's like a, it's like a blender. You set it on 7, and it's spinning at a certain amount. You turn it up to 8, it's not spinning that much higher on the sides of the wall. Just a, barely a fraction. But it is pushing everything out a little farther and a little faster. 
And, and that's what's happening. We put a little bit more energy into the atmosphere, and everything's spinning just a little bit farther. So that, uh, that cold front you weren't expecting 10 years ago, and now it's like it happens every year. It's because it got pushed a little bit farther out of its usual boundaries. So now it comes down an extra 20 miles. And when that comes down, it's hitting things, you know, it's pushing other things around. So these warm and hot fronts that used to not have so much turmoil are, are generating massive winds. And uh, that part's concerning. But the thing that's more concerning is that places that have been frozen for most of humankind, um, easily a good 20, 30,000 years, um, some places even like millions of years have been, have been frozen solid underneath the ice are starting to thaw out. And what they're finding is that these places that are thawing out more than they usually do, because yeah, I mean the tundra thaws out a little bit every year, but it only gets to a certain depth. It's causing gases to release. Now where are these gases coming from? Well, creatures died, they got buried, and frozen and um, they might have decomposed a bit but they were covered up you know in frozen ground so they were preserved right well they might have been broken down by natural tectonic shifts or earthquakes and you know the the swelling and condensing so it might have emulsified the body but the bacteria is still there and more importantly the carbon dioxide is still there so we hit this runaway point with carbon dioxide entering the atmosphere I'm not trying to debate whether or not, you know, humans made an impact to it or whether it's more naturally caused and we're just in a cycle. I mean, regardless, it's happening. And uh, it's not about apportioning blame. It's, it's about finding solutions. So, yeah, every bit of carbon dioxide we can reduce is going to be helpful. Every bit of it. Because the last thing we want is it to just hit the runaway stage and bam, we're already there. So it's, it's kind of too late. Which means, you know, if you don't feel like doing anything about it, well, congratulations. You're most people. I, I want to do something about it, but I don't have the energy to care. I won't survive the worst of it. And um, I'm okay with that. So... What would be a solution, right? It's good to say, oh, I see the problems, but now find solutions. Well, the problem is that the solutions that would work are the ones that people don't like, right? Y'all saw Infinity Wars, Avengers Infinity Wars, Thanos sitting there. He's going to destroy half the population of the universe because he's worried about overpopulation, and everybody's like, oh, he's the bad guy. Everybody in the world got to stop him. And I'm thinking, well, shit, why is he only getting rid of 50%? That, that's hardly enough. And the whole universe, I mean, the universe is big. The universe take care of itself. It, it, it will. You know, our planet might be getting to a point of overpopulation. And our species might be in danger. But the, uni but the solar system is going to be fine. The planet will be fine. If we don't last because we kill ourselves off and we kill off most of the species in our rut, you know, most of the species weren't going to last another 
3 million years or longer anyways. Climate change is going to happen, ebbs and tides. All we're doing is cutting off a few evolutionary chains along the way. But the planet will be fine. The planet will be fine until the planet ain't fine no more because it blows up or gets swallowed up by the sun or careens off into the empty universe. So, we only really should be concerned about preserving humanity in the best way possible. Not saying that we don't want to protect the other animals, because protecting the other animals is a good way to help protect ourselves. If we're not impacting them negatively, then obviously we're, we're not dwindling our resources so severely and making unchangeable or unadaptable effects in the land. Um, so the number one thing we could do right now if we wanted to just give the human species a, a good chance, and as unpopular as it is, I know a lot of people are going to think I'm a whack jab for it, but uh, I think you have to eliminate probably around 99.9% .9 of the population. So we're like 7... 7.6 or 7. Point, I don't know. 7 point something billion people on the planet. So if we take... Oh, let's do some math here. Let's say 7.6, and we multiply it by point zero 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 um, one percent of the population. That still leaves us with 760,000 people. Now, that doesn't seem like a lot, right? That, that seems like a huge, massive genocide. Like, the worst things we might survive to that level anyways... That's possible. Um, in fact, it's, it's probable that the worst things we could do would probably wipe us down to some level like that. And then we'd be okay. But the key is, is that you want to do it before uh, the world runs out of resources to support that remaining population. If we get down to that population because we hit mass starvation and... Uh, most people can't survive and the environment can't bounce back faster than we need it to bounce back. Then those people won't survive. That'll be the end of the species. If it happens before and the planet has time to start readjusting itself to it. And, um, you know, it can readjust to it. It'll readjust very quickly. But can we survive the readjustment process? And it's already started to readjust to it. But you think about... I always find this statistic really incredible. 10% of everyone who's ever been alive on the planet is alive right now. 10%. So humans have been around for... I think they're, they're calculating like 150,000 years now. We found evidence of human societies as old as 100,000 years old but people have been around for probably you know like a million years and uh, people as we know it you know maybe 150,000 so 150,000 years um 170,000 or 152,000 if we're going to add the extra time we've spent in this century in this, uh, this side of, of BCE so, in all that time, the population of the planet has been so low that it's basically been 
mitigated by nature. The, the overflow population, you know, I'm not saying that it hasn't ebbed and flowed, but the scarcity of resources causing wars, natural disasters, plagues, just people being people and killing each other, whatever it is, that was, that was all kept in check. So until about 200 years ago, the highest population was like 2 million people. When I was born, the population was like 4 billion people. Now it's like 7.6 billion. It's probably, I mean, I could look it up, but I'm not going to because I'm on my phone. But it's, it's insane how fast we're growing. And people are like, well, yeah, but now we're getting all these wonderful ideas, right? We got, we got commercial farming and we got genetically modified stuff. And yes, all of it does stretch what we have farther and farther and farther to meet these demands. But what none of it does is allow for the environment to just reboot itself. Like it would take a good probably 200 years to to get to a point where where everything that we did is just completely overcome by nature. And that's that's not saying that buildings won't be around, but you know, where where new animals will not new species of animals, but like animals will 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 feel like it's okay to den in in our old buildings the way they would in a cave or something, you know. Um, where the forestation is is wiped out the idea that humans were ever there. And none of that's actually going to put the environment back where it was. You know, that's just like us giving the earth a chance to breathe and catch up. So if we can decimate the population... Yeah, we're more at risk of some sort of technological issue, but we don't have to destroy our knowledge base in the process. We could just, you know, find ways to preserve it, find ways to to make it accessible to people who might not have access to all the resources cuz yeah, you know, I don't want to be burning coal for fuel and you know, I don't I don't want to be using nuclear technology unless it's going to be you know, a zero-waste product, so so maybe we set up some sort of an, an island somewhere and we, we just set them up, like, with, like, that's the colony. They're going to have all the information. They're going to have the ability to repair solar panels and geothermal heating and, you know, all those wonderful things, you know, everything they need to, to ride out a 200 year storm on a on a reasonable size island we'll say um, like England or you know the British Isles one of those you know someplace where where life is is pretty okay but they're they're still cut off from the mainland and they don't leave for nothing and they can support 700,000 people there I mean the infrastructure is mostly there just have to make some adjustments to things you know but you give them everything they need, right? They can't leave that island for 200 years. At the end of 200 years, the shackles are off. The planet is whatever it is, and people can go back out. 
But now they've lived 200 years living off of clean, renewable sources of energy. And, and the people are just used to that. You know, we're not going to have electric cars because electric cars mean batteries. And batteries are bad. The best battery in the world is a tree. The tree grows and then you do whatever you need to do with the tree. And yeah, you can burn it and that's not necessarily great for the environment, but trees catch on fire in the environment all the time. Yeah. It's not any worse than a forest fire that is caused by a strike of lightning or or a volcano. And we're talking about a significantly lower amount, right? So I don't want to use trees. I'm just saying like you know, people can come back out and they can they can take all that knowledge that they've accumulated. They can go find those untapped resources. You know, that won't be the same kind of untapped resources they found the first time they started straying out from wherever we all started. There'll be supplies that are already harnessed. You won't have to strip mine for steel. Why? Because the steel is there. All you got to do is take apart the building and get it. Same with the copper. Yeah. Just be different. I'm not saying it'll be perfect. You probably have to do another reboot process again, you know, some four or five thousand years later. But, you know, the people who were on that island and leave will all be out there trying to find their own thing and then they'll start finding for resources again. And, oh, look, since everybody has to fight, then some people are going to die. And, and that's, that's healthy for a species. It really is. really is. What's not healthy is saving everyone. Saving everyone, worst idea. You can't, you can't do it. And um, that is the lesson of Easter Island. You can't save everybody. You save everybody, you save nobody. You have to pick and choose. Now, I'm not saying you have to pick and choose like, oh, we should, you know, this group of people, these are better people. No, I'm not saying that. You know, the most ideal situation would be just a random lottery where there's no long-term impacts or whatever. That's why, um, you know, plague outbreak movies are so nice because plagues don't give a shit. You know, if everybody's susceptible to it, you got like a, you know, a, a thousand people get infected and and say 800 are going to die. Nobody knows who that 200 that are alive are going to be. It's random. You get stuck with that. That's it's a nice, clean way to do it. It's a horrible way to do it. I mean, it'd be great if everybody could just say, okay, draw a number. If your number gets called from this giant bingo machine, you get to live. And, um, but, you know, that, that's not human nature either. So, yeah, I mean, the idea that um, Thanos, or whatever his name was from... Avengers Infinity War a lot of people are like he's the bad guy it's like no he's the good guy he's just he's not really he's putting out a message that other people have I'm not the only one who thinks this way but it's certainly not enough and it's not focused in the right spot you want to save earth by destroying half the population of earth that's a fix that's going to last you about mmm 20 years 20 years the population's already doubled so yeah it's about 20 year fix 20 year fix um, 
the only thing that would be good is that labor would be valued as more. Which goes back to the previous podcast. Call back previous podcast talking about minimum wage efforts, you know. The number one thing, the number one point in history where the economy bounced back strong was the bubonic plague, which eradicated most of the working class people. And those working class people that were left were able to sell their highly demanded labor at a much higher cost. They were able to sell it for much better benefits. This is the same thing. It all kind of ties together. Okay, that's enough insanity for today. Um, I have not talked any wrestling in this podcast, but whatever. It's only a day since the first one. So, all right. Have a good night. Peace, love, Pinocchio. I don't know. Bye.